Hey, welcome. This is Pastor Tyler Whitcomb. I just want to say on behalf of the leadership of Fos Church, we are so glad that you're checking out the Fos Church podcast. At Fos, we believe in the authority of God's Word and the ability it has through the power of the Holy Spirit to change the hearts of mankind and to mold and shape its readers into the image of Christ. And so we pray that these messages would do just that, that you would hear God's word and be changed by it. Lastly, our encouragement is, if you do not belong to a local Bible-believing church, that you would do so, because a podcast will never allow you to serve the purpose that God has called you into belonging to the church. Well, good morning. Who's still got Christmas shopping to do? Okay, so we're not all above, you know, above and beyond, and we still have things to do. Um, but whose Christmas tree's up? Okay, at least we're that proactive. Yeah, I'm so excited for the Christmas season, and I'm so excited that we're continuing on this train of, of living hope in a time where, you know, this is a joyous time of year. This is a time, but maybe you say, hey, look around the world, it doesn't seem so hopeful or hope-filled, and there's things that maybe you're worried about, and things in the world that are, hey, this is just all seeming going, going so mad. Um, I, I want to encourage you, I, I believe there's hope. There's hope here right now, I mean, I believe the church is that. And I know people think the church is, is going out of style, and we're, we're, the average age of the person on stage this week is like 26. This is the next generation. Right? Can we just, right? The Lord, the Lord's raising up young people to lead and to, to be just fierce about the things of God. You know, and I think that's something worth pra praising the Lord for. Um, and I'm excited for it. I, I, you know, I know these young people, I'm young, and we're just going after it, you know? And we really believe there's a living hope that we want to tell the rest of the world about. And that's, that's what we've been in our series. If you're joining us for the first time, We've been going through First Peter, and there's three uh, main themes within the book of First Peter. The first one is living hope, and we spent a few weeks talking about that. Peter lays that out really strong, really quick. Um, and then the second great theme is to steward your life well, right? Because, I mean, what kind of reflection would that be if you're not stewarding your life well? I mean, what kind of hope does that reflect, if, we're not, if our lives don't show it, if our lives don't radiate the hope that we have that's in Christ Jesus. Um, and then the third one is that we'll get to eventually is uh, an eternal glory. Um, but last week, Pastor Justin was here. He uh, opened up the word and began talking about, uh, it continued the second great theme. But he really started a, a new thought within this theme, and it's the idea of submission. And we'll see that again today, but really a few weeks ago, uh, as we start entering into this new, this new theme, um, I, I start off uh, by, by just saying, hey, you know what? The conduct by which you live your life preaches a message. The conduct by which you live your life, the, the, this, this living hope ought to orient your life in a certain way. Your life should look a certain way. It should radiate a, a certain hope, and that's what Peter is getting at. And so now what he's saying is, okay, um, hope should look like this, and this is how your life should be stewarded to reflect that. And so right away, he starts off with submission. So if you were here last week, he said, you're, 
you should be submitted to governing authorities. You know what I think is so radical about that? As Peter says, you should be submitted to the governing authorities. We should be that. And that governing authority is going to kill me. And I'm telling you to be submissive to that. That is wild. That's insane. But yet he's saying to, to live honorably in the world. That you would be a model citizen. That, that your neighbor would look at you and say, hey, there's something about Christianity. And that's something that I want. Right? So we, we had to orient our lives. We should live a certain way that, that would actually be appealing. That it would reflect something. And it, and it doesn't mean that we're weird. Right? I mean, we're not called to steward our lives in such a way that we look like Ned Flanders. Right? I mean, Hollywood gives us a portrait of what the Christian looks like, and, and we're deemed as dumb, outdated. We look, we look like the, the, the weirdo, the, the weird neighbor, but that's not what Christianity is called to look like. Right, the, the, the principle of holiness that we see in the New Testament is one that's love. Jesus says, by this, people will know that you are my disciples, by how you love one another. The distinction, the core distinction that you and I have in the world should be that we are so loving. Peter would say that at the beginning, he said, I mean, you should conduct your life in such a way that if people were to bring a charge against you, the only thing they could say was, man, they love and serve me too well. What's, what's my greatest weakness as a Christian? You know, you know, I love a little too much. I serve a little too much. You know what I mean? You all know that, right? When you're going for your interview, what's your greatest weakness? Ah, come in a little too early, stay a little too late, right? And I'm just praying, praying, praying that as we, as we venture through this Living Hope series, you know, we're week five, so we're halfway through right this week. It's the halfway point. My prayer is that the world would just get a glimpse of truly what, the, what we've been called to as Christians and that they would see it and understand it and that they would desire it. They would desire it. And, and so Peter, in the last few weeks, is lasering in these passages on the ways we should live and he's, and he's taking this idea of submission. You know, again, last week, Pastor Justin, um, the people should live in, in, in submission to their governing authorities, whether the emperor or your boss. Right? So yes, how, how the... The government sees the church and, and ultimately how your, your workplace sees you. They ought to birth in us a way of conduct that would be appealing. And now, today, Peter transitions in the, in, the, in the passage and he says, just like how you're submissive to your governing authorities, right, like you, you shouldn't be the jerk at the traffic stop. You know, when the, when the officer's pulling you over, we got some officers here. I back the blue. Brian. <laughs> um, but you don't need to be that person. Right? There should be something different. The way we conduct ourselves in the world, and not only in the world, but now Peter's going to transition. He says, but in the home. Not just in the world, but in the home. He's going to talk about how you interact with your spouse. Right, the, 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 that not only does our message, does our life preach a message to the world, but it also preaches a message to your spouse. Now, I want to say some things real quick about our passage today. This passage, First Peter three, is not a picture of the perfect marriage. It's not a picture of the perfect marriage. It's not, hey, this is how the ideal picture should look. No, he, he's actually going to talk about how you should be as a spouse when maybe everything's not going so right. 
when everything's not all sunshine and rainbows and in those days when it might be difficult to love the person that you vowed to love forever. In those days, when those days hit, because they do, how should you love that person? How should you love your spouse? And actually, specifically, in our context today, Peter's going to address how you would love your unbelieving spouse. That, that if you were married to an unbeliever as a, as a believer, how you should love this person in such a way that they might see and understand the person of Jesus. That you would love, honor, respect, serve in such a way that it would be a message to your unbelieving spouse. But I also know that some of the language in this passage can come across doom and gloom, especially if you're a woman in here. And I want to address some of that because I do believe this passage has been misunderstood and misused to, to put women in, in a headlock, and I, and I just don't believe that's what Peter's doing here. I actually believe what he's saying is something that's really beautiful in this passage that's contrary to what maybe a historical understanding, or, or not, not greater historical, but in the last century here in the West, how we've used this passage maybe to manipulate uh, and to domineer uh, as men. And so I, I do believe that is not at all what Peter is saying. It's not to control or to oppress women. And though our passage in its context is how to deal with an unbelieving spouse, the marching orders are still the same. So the call to the wife, the call to the husband in here is still gonna be the same. How this is just, hey, you might say in here, you say, hey, you know what? My spouse is a believer in Jesus, and that's great. Love them how Christ has called you to. Love them how Christ has called you to. Take these principles, you don't, you don't deviate from them. But he, Peter is essentially emphasizing that, hey, you don't change just because they're unbelieving. You don't act differently. The, the orders aren't different. You know, I know what Paul's sharing about marriage, but um, those things are all still true, even if your spouse is unbelieving, even if things aren't sunshine and rainbows. Um, I share on my social media, um, if you follow me, uh, you're all welcome to follow me on social media. Um, that's a joke. I'm not narcissistic, I promise. Uh, but I shared, hey, newly married, and this, this Sunday preaching on marriage, um, and now because I'm two months in under my belt, I, I have the authority to talk on such things. Uh, and I, put, I, I did put on my, a disclaimer on the social media that it was a joke. I'm just joking. I'm not the authority on this, although look for my book later next year. Um, and I said, but I, would, I am going to appeal to the book that does, that is authored and inspired um, by the one who does hold all authority. Right? We, we do have uh, a picture for what God believes marriage should look like, especially in the context of if you're a believer, how, how your marriage might actually reflect to the world what the hope that you have. You know, what you believe in. And, and so as I posted that uh, on social media, I kind of I chuckled as I was posting it. Um, because two months in, here's what we've learned. A marriage done God's way can be amazing. It's like the greatest gift ever. And there are other days when it feels like nothing could be harder to do what God's called you to do. Right, like we've talked about it as husband and wife. Like there's just times when, when God's called to me and God's called to you and how we're supposed to do this. Like we just want to dig our heels in and say, no, 
I want to do, you know, you look at the New Testament, there's tons of principles on how to love. Nothing seems more difficult to me than when you look in, in 1 Corinthians and it says, love does not insist on its own way. Like, what do you mean? The world's not all about me? This is a newsflash, you know? I mean, 28 years, it's all about me. And especially, you know, when you're out on your own and you're doing life as a, as a single adult, you know, that's a time where you get a call at 8 o'clock, hey, you want to go out, you want to do this? And it's like, yeah, I'm out. You know, I'm running around doing whatever I want to do. But when you get married, it's not all about you. Two months in, I'm a, I'm a master at that right now. I know that much to be true about marriage. It is not all about me. And so I give this disclaimer as well because... I'm not the perfect husband. I'm sure some of you are shocked by that. But I'll tell you this, Karen is not happy all the time. She's not always laughing. And you've got to think, gosh, I mean, it's at least 95% of the time, right? I mean, but she's always happy, always laughing. No, it's not that. That is not what's happening. You know, why you have, uh, we are learning marriage is not always the easiest. It can be difficult. And at times you feel like, you just want to dig your heels in on what God's called you to be and to do as a husband and a wife. And um, this passage, uh, I, I do believe when understood correctly, is really something beautiful. But, you know, you do weddings, you go to weddings, you see weddings, and you see the call to the times of the husband and the wife. And... You can't do that. You can't be perfect at it. Like the call to a husband to lay down your life as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Any of you guys fail at that this week? Or, or, or wives? Don't ever use a word that would hurt your husband. It's a proverb. Any of you fail at that this week? So... Both of you probably, as you saw your spouse raise your hand, just felt like, oh, yeah, you did, <laughs> right? But you can't let that out. You're just like, you're just like internally celebrating that they raised their hand. Um, but your ability to do this out perfectly is impossible. And so you see these charges, and you see these calls, and outside of the grace of Jesus, it won't be possible. It will be impossible to do this, what God's called you to do, without the grace of Jesus, realizing that grace affords you the ability to not be perfect. It's not a license to, to sin against your spouse. It's not a license to sin, in period. But you're not going to be perfect at this. And it's why that um, when you think about your spouse, as perfect as they may be at times, as enjoyable as they are at times, the joy that you have with them um, it's why they will never be a good God. And if you put that weight on them, not only will it crush them, but it will crush you when they fail to meet that expectation. Right? And so as we come to our text this morning and we see husbands, you know what? When life is hard and when it's not going your way, here's your call. Wives, when life, your husband's not loving and, and it's not easy, here's your call. 
You're going to learn very quickly that these people aren't perfect, and you're going to realize really quickly that you're not. And so why don't we allow grace to abound in our marriages? Why don't we allow grace to be the thing that makes us maybe slow to speak when we want to just lash out, when we want to say things that are hurtful, um, and we want to defend, and we want to do all these things. And maybe you're sitting here and saying, Tyler, I'm single. What does this passage mean for me? And I think that's a great question. And I do believe singleness to be a great gift of God, right? You see that in the New Testament. There's nothing wrong with being single if that's where you're at in life. You, you, you're, in a, in a sense, Paul would say you're, you're freer or more free than do things for the kingdom, right? Where you're not limited. Again, it's not, when you get into marriage, it's not all about you. When you're single, it is all, you know, you, it's your schedule, it's your life. You do things when, you know, you, it's all about you. So when you're free and you're single and you have that ability to go and do more things in a width capacity. You know, as we were getting prepared to get married, we said, well, is this, are we going to be able to do more for the kingdom um, as husband and wife? And I said, well, if we're thinking about the scope and the width of things, I don't think so. You know, as a, as a single person, you have so much freedom and abilities and, and, the, and the possibilities are endless. And as, as, as marriage, you know, that, that condenses a little bit, but I think where you get to do more is depth, right? Not as much as this, but you can go deeper with people. You can go deeper in, in your ministries together than you could uh, uh, in regards to width. Um, so as a single person, you, maybe you hear these principles today. And yes, Peter is specifically talking to husbands and wives, but I actually believe you could apply these principles to honor Love, serve, respect, to not dominate. You could, you could attribute those principles in a wide variety of ways. In the places where you work, in the communities that you're a part of. Right, these are great principles to live by. Um, just this week, uh, uh, Linda A. texted me and she had said, hey, I'm listening to the radio and, and Bob Duco, to, he said, that, well, the world's microphone is louder than the Christian's. Satan's microphone is louder than the Christians in the world. And, and actually, you know, I, I would agree with that sentiment. Right? You got Hollywood, you have culture, you have social media, you have all these things that are not looking to promote the, the message of Christ. And so in that, I would say, yes, they have a very loud microphone. But I do believe that the Christian has a more effective microphone. When we were to live out these principles the world would hear something sweeter from us than what the world has to offer. But that if we lived our way, if we, if we conducted ourselves in these ways, single or married, if you lived your life in this way, I truly believe that this message of our lives would be a sweet aroma that would be worth giving your life to. And so with that, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in First Peter chapter 3 this morning. We're going to look in the first uh, two verses right away. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not believe or obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And so Peter, right away, he just drops the S word. Does he not? I mean, it's not four letters, but... It's the S word of all S words in our society and culture today. 
because we don't want to be subjected, we don't want to be submitted to any kind of authority or, or to anyone for that matter. And, and so if you grew up in a home where you saw abuse, whether it be your mom or your dad, um, if you were in a marriage where you experienced abuse, I'm sure you, you, you see this word be subject, likewise wives, be subject to your husband's and you think, man, that, that command, that charge, couldn't be further from the heart of God. Like, like, how is God telling Peter to write this? How is the Holy Spirit inspiring this to, to be said? If this is your idea of submission, right? The, the world, the house you grew up in, the, the marriage you were a part of. You say, hey, I, I experienced abuse in some, some really severe ways. Why on earth would we subject ourselves? Why would we submit ourselves and I would just say, submission doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean submitting to abuse. Um, John Piper wrote an article on this passage, and he shares six things that submission is not. And I'm going to read some of those for you. Submission does not mean agreeing on everything. Some of you husbands are saying, shut up. <laughs> but it doesn't mean agreeing on everything. How could it be? In, in the context of this passage, Right? He's talking to a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse. How are they going to agree on everything? They're not going to agree on everything. They shouldn't. Like if you, if you really truly believe that God is who he says he is, you, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and your spouse does not, there are no possible way that you agree on everything. You have a contra contrary worldview to one another at its base, at its core. And so how that will flesh itself later, it's going to be a myriad of ways that you disagree on things. And so Peter is saying, hey, guess what? I'm not calling you to agree on everything. The second thing Piper says is submission does not mean leaving your brain at the altar. It's this idea that wives, your voices and ideas are needed, that if your husband is a good leader, there will be times when he says, I'm sorry, I was wrong, or thank you for sharing that. It doesn't mean that the husband's way is always the right way. Submission does not mean you do not try to influence your husband. It doesn't mean you don't try to influence your husband. I mean, look at the passage. Do you see verse 2? Of course, this whole passage, this, this breath of the scripture right here is all about influencing your spouse. That they may be one. If your spouse is gonna change, if they're gonna believe in Jesus, and they're gonna go from death to life, a change, that, that's only gonna happen if you conduct yourself this way. Right, so, so of course you're gonna try and influence your husband or, or, or your spouse. Right? If they're not believers in Jesus, it would be unloving to want them to stay in that state. If your spouse is in sin or if your spouse is just in a bad place and, and you don't want to see them come out of that, you don't want to see change take place, that, I would call that unloving. I would call that insubordinate if you're going to call something insubordinate. But, yeah, the, the sub submission doesn't mean you don't try and influence your spouse. I love this next point. Uh, that Piper makes, he says, submission does not mean putting the will of the husband above the will of Christ. Submission does not mean putting the will of the husband above the will of Christ. And so if you remember how last week started, because today's thought 
is just the continuation of last week's thought because he says likewise at the very beginning. Tying just back, just like before, just like be submitted to your governing authorities and people in high places, just like that. But how did that all start? If you were here last week, you'll remember Pastor Justin shared in that verse, for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. So ultimately, we live, we conduct ourselves in this way. Why? For the Lord's sake. Because this is the will of the Lord. This is what God's calling you into. And so ultimately, your husband's will does not overtake the Lord's will. And so if your husband's calling you to lead you into sin, like, hey, let's, let's have a group sex party. You're not called into that. You're not, being, you're not called to follow that. If your husband's calling you to sin in some way, you're not called to follow that. And so what Peter says, it's not the husband's way or the highway. It's the Lord's way or the highway. And so marriage ought to be centered on Christ and be a reflection of Christ and the church. And so if the husband were to lead it in a contrary way to that, you know uh, that that's wrong with the scriptures. You don't follow. You follow the scriptures. I loved um, uh, um, mine and Karen's wedding. We uh, wrote our own vows and it's a really funny story. We, the night before, we weren't even sure if we were doing that. Um, and so it was a game time decision if we were <laughs> writing our own vows. Um, but one of the things Karen shared to me was, she says, you know, um, I jokingly said to her, I said, hey, I'll write your vows for you. Um, and I said, you know, I promise to always obey. For whatever reason, she didn't want to say that. Um, and, uh, but what she did say was she said, you know, I, I, I want to follow you into where, what you believe the Lord's calling us and leading us into. Um, but ultimately, he's the ultimate authority. He's who I'll follow. And so if you're not leading in that way, I'm not going to follow you. She, she, she vowed that to me. So <laughs> uh, if I want her to follow, I guess I got to be in the word, being guided by the word. Um, lastly, submission. Um, or no, the fifth thing. Submission does not mean getting all of her spiritual strength through her husband. It doesn't mean getting all your spiritual strength through your husband. In context of our passage, that would be impossible. In context of our passage, that would be impossible. The unbelieving spouse is there. How is she getting her spiritual life from that? Well, she's not. Ladies, you can devour the word and consume it and pray and, and worship and grow and be strengthened by all of it and is not predicated on your husband. Now, do I believe the cousin would call the lead in that area? Yes. But you don't derive all of your spiritual growth and strength uh, from your husband. Lastly, submission does not mean living or acting in fear. And that's what we'll get to in verse six. That true submission does not lead towards being frightened. And so the call to honor and respect doesn't mean you have to agree. It doesn't mean you, have to, you don't have a voice or influence. It doesn't mean your husband has all authority. And it doesn't mean you, aren't relying, uh, you are relying on him for spiritual growth. And it doesn't mean you're fearful. And so this call to honor and respect doesn't mean any of those things. And so Peter opens up and says, Likewise, just like you would be subjected by governing authorities, emperors, your boss, and demonstrate that your hope is different, Likewise, wives, don't worry, husbands, we're going to get to you in a moment. But wives, just like that, when your husband isn't a believer, 
Would you honor and respect him in a way that's just different, that, that radiates the hope that you have in Jesus? Don't, don't leave him because he's an unbeliever. Right? That's 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says you don't divorce over that. You don't divorce because they're um, not believing, but that you would stay and actually have an opportunity to witness and be a reflection of the gospel. But rives here, you, you honor and respect, even when it isn't all sunshines and rainbows. He says that the respectful conduct to which you show your husband will be evidence of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. It will be the thing that compels him like nothing else. Like nothing else. Like, like, like you would have a way with him. You'd have a, a, a door, an opening here that nobody else would have. And, and you'd do it by what? By your pure conduct. By your pure conduct. And he said um, that he may be one without a word. You know what he just says? Don't try and nag your husband into the kingdom. Don't, don't, don't try to berate him into the kingdom. It does not work that way. It doesn't work that way. Some of you might know, you say, hey, you know what, you want your husband to change in some areas, and so you, 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 you say the things over and over and over and over and over and over, hoping that eventually it's just gonna fix them. And, right, over and over and over, you, you say these things hoping that maybe he'll change. And what that can do for a time is it can offer a level of conformity, right? Like, oh, you know, I don't want to be nagged, so instead of being nagged, I'll do this to get, you know, to, to get the braining to stop. And Peter would say, no, you don't do that. That doesn't bring forth real heart change. Like, he's not going to be transformed because you told him to. But he said, maybe, maybe, just maybe he might get changed by how well you love and honor and serve him in a way that he'd say, maybe there's something to this Jesus thing. This seems better than what the, than what the world has to offer. This whole marriage thing, the way God's designed it just seems better. Um, and I remember when I first... Um, some of you, you know, you know my story, a big part of my call in ministry really was centered on a surgery gone bad in 2014. And after that, you know, um, I, I really just began, I was, I was already, there was already a pathway. There was, I was already on fire for the Lord. Um, but there was just this deep desire for me. And I, this is where I thought my ministry was going after that was that my ministry would be centered on people that are hurt and broken. And you come to find out that's everybody. Um, but I really thought, you know, my, I want my, my ministry to really be centered on meeting people in suffering and hard times and difficult places. And again, you find out that that's everybody. Um, but in that, uh, I remember just completely wigging out for Jesus. I mean, we, Jim Thompson and I were reading The Wild Goose Chase by Mark Batterson. I don't know if you ever heard of him or read that book, but The Wild Goose Chase was an amazing book. But I just remember, I just wanted everyone to experience the love that I had for Jesus. I want everybody to be just as crazy about it. I wanted them to consume the books I was reading. I wanted them to listen to the, the sermons I was watching. And it was just, and you, sometimes you, you can get discouraged because, you know, people are busy and people have lives and it isn't always the most convenient thing to read every book that ever gets suggested to you. 
right? Because everybody reads a book and it's the, the best, it's the, it's the best book you'll ever read. You have to read it. And it's like, okay, that's on list like 200 now, you know, like I'm never going to get to it, but thanks for your suggestion. Um, but, but in that, um, you know, it's like I, I wanted, you know, I had the, the, the shirt, you know, I heart, or the, the, I had the hat, not the shirt. I had this, I heart Jesus, you know, I was just wigged out for the gospel, and I wanted everyone else to get it. And I, I think um, just through some, some immaturity, uh, try to force it on people. Friends of mine that I had that are not believers in Jesus, I wanted them so desperately to believe what I believe that I came on really, really strong. And I think I probably lost out on opportunity. You know, looking back at some of those times and those moments of life, Peter says, you don't, win people that way. I've yet to see an altar call on Facebook comments. Right, when you're braiding somebody to believe in Jesus. I've never seen somebody go, finally, you said what I was missing. Let me give my life to Jesus right now. I've never followed that train. I've never seen that happen. But to live and to conduct your life in such a way by pure conduct, you would have the ability the opportunity to win your unbelieving spouse. And it's not a bad desire. Like if, if your desire is that, you say, hey, you know, I'm on fire for Jesus. I want everybody to know Jesus. Uh, that's not a bad desire. That's a great desire. Um, there's a book by Charles Spurgeon that he wrote called The Soul Winner. I'd recommend it. Again, you know, I know you got like 200 books, but I'm recommending one to you. Um, but to see lost people saved, especially if you're in a marriage where your spouse is unbelieving, and you say, I desperately want them to, that, that is a good and right desire. But now what you do with that desire is important. How you conduct yourself, how you witness, how you evangelize. And so instead, without using a word, like, like don't suffocate, without using a word, would you honor and respect your unbelieving spouse in such a way that they would see that there's something to the life that's in Christ Jesus. It's not through braiding, it's not through nagging. No, it's by the pure conduct. Uh, picking back up in verse three. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you're thinking, no, 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 no. Um, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And so, now as I shared uh, on the onset of this message, you know, I, I do believe there's been some misunderstandings of this passage, and this portion of the passage is where um, some really st strict conservative Ism has taken a passage like this and, and made it and twisted it and manipulated it into a way that I just don't believe that's what Peter's saying. Um, and so women, uh, nobody's watching if you're coming in with jewelry or nice clothes on. I just promise you that. Um, and, and you are fully in your right too. Right? Um, Peter's continuing a thought here. So in the same way that you wouldn't try to win your unbelieving spouse through, through berating or um, through nagging. He says in the same way, you don't win them through seduction. 
right? That there's going to be this sex appeal to Christianity. You're not going to win them that way. That, that, it's not through the clothes and through looking beautiful and, and doing all these things. So he's, he's, yes, he's continuing this thought. Because a ploy for sex is not going to bring forth true heart transformation. You're not going to seduce him into coming. He may show up. In fact, if you adorn yourself through external beauty, he's probably going to show up. But that doesn't mean there's going to be true heart transformation. I shared this a couple weeks ago uh, when I did the whole camouflage thing, if you were here for it. Um, I don't know why I can't wear camouflage every week. That was awesome. Um, But uh, we're not going to sneak people into the kingdom because Christianity is sexy or cool. Like, it's not. It's why I refuse to look sexy and cool up here, you know? (laughs) Just kidding, I don't look cool, but I do look sexy. (laughs) Okay, I should probably stop. I'm maybe crossing a line here. Um, But if the goal is alluring through anything outside of Christ and him crucified, it's going to be a shallow hope. If we're alluring people with a hope that's anything but Christ and him crucified, even if they got that hope, it wouldn't sustain and it wouldn't satisfy for long. Right? If, if our message isn't purely Christ and him crucified. And so, no, men, men don't get worn through a word or beauty. Peter said, this isn't how women of old did things. This isn't how they influenced their husbands. No, women of old who hoped in God did so by respecting and honoring their husband. That was the secret sauce. I'm going to love him in such a way, serve him, honor him in such a way that he would see there's something about this Jesus thing. That he would see that there's something about this Jesus thing. Um, I'm going to pick back up in verse 7. This is, and you might say, hey, hold up a second. Women get six verses, men only get one. That does not seem fair. Peter, and I'm going to, use a word that um, has got a lot of, in the theological world, it means a lot right now, um, and I don't mean it in the way you maybe you're thinking, but what Peter's going to do is he's going to deconstruct a thought that was prevalent in the Roman world in the first century. He's going to deconstruct this whole social construct, how they understand family and law. Um, So verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your lives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So Peter just drops a bomb on verse 7 to his listeners. And this goes against every social construct for how they understand family and law in this time. Um, so the Roman world for almost a millennia was governed by a law, paterfamilias. Familias, F-A-M-I-L-I-A-S. Right, root word, family. But it was a rule of law for the family where the husband, the eldest male in the, in the family, held autonomy and all authority. He, he had the ability to, to do almost anything that he wanted to. The family would follow suit. Whatever dad did, you did. But guess what? If you're, if you're 
in your 40s and dad's still alive, guess who's got the authority in your home? You are not an adult yet. Because the eldest male held that authority, that power. And, and so, paterfamilias, you can, you can look this up, but yes, over the slaves, the children, and the wives, the male had this power and authority. And so, um, under this authority, domestic abuse was okay. It was not frowned upon, it was viewed as normative. Like in the same way, if you're a parent and you, and you, and you uh, discipline your child, the, the, the man in this time and culture had the same ability to discipline a child as he did his wife. If you're spanking your kid, he could spank his wife. And that wasn't viewed as a bad thing. It wasn't viewed as, as wrong. It was normative. And so likewise, husbands, just as citizens are subjected to Christ and obedient to the governing authorities, i.e. governors, emperors, and bosses, and, and just like a wife is subjected to Christ and in turn honors and respects her husband, you too ought to be subjected to Christ and love your life, wife. You see what he says here? He says, live in an understanding way. Which means be gentle. It means when, hey, you're the, you're the husband, you're the believer in the home, and your wife is not, it doesn't mean you get to beat her into submission. It doesn't mean, hey, you, you don't get this, let me rock it into you. No, it doesn't work that way. You don't get to dominate your woman into believing in Jesus. Peter says that, that, it, that might be your construct because guess what, in paterfamilias, what the dad believed, everyone believed. And so this had to come as a, as a cultural shock. Hey, I believe in Jesus, but my wife doesn't. Like, why isn't she following suit? Doesn't she have to? Peter says, no, she doesn't. And don't we want everyone to be saved? Yes, we do. But that's not how people get saved. You, you, you don't, dominate, you don't domineer, you don't scare people into the kingdom. Again, um, a high school I went to, I think I've shared this before, uh, really tight on the rules, really tight on the law, so to speak. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I had a lot of friends that, that would have heard this message, but, um, and it wasn't unique to my high school. Uh, I went to a small Christian school, um, and it wasn't unique to that church even, because it's, a, it's a, a term coined as hellfire and brimstone preaching. Maybe some of you have heard that before. Um, but in, in my understanding with friends that I had, um, there was this uh, more of a heavy emphasis laid on the law. And uh, again, the law is not a bad thing. Never, don't ever hear me say that. The law is not a bad thing. David delighted in the law of the Lord. Um, but it was this picture painted, you know, where you fall short. You should really be questioning your salvation because if you, there's hellfire and brimstone here. And I knew people that strictly believed the gospel to, believe, to be fire insurance, right? To, to keep me out of hell. And... Um, in the hopes of maybe joining with friends and family that would go to heaven. And what a shallow hope that is. What a sh that will not hold and sustain throughout the hardships of life. When life kicks you in the gut, 
your hope is not in not going to, to hell and my friends and family that are going to heaven. No, I mean, the, the hope of the gospel, the hope that, of heaven is, that, is where Christ is. That it's a relationship with him, and that's what we put our hope in, that's what we put our faith in. The, whole, the, the, the good news of, of the gospel is not that you get out of hell. It's that you get eternity with Jesus forever. Right? And, and I've shared this before. Hell is not a, or heaven is not a place for people afraid of hell. It's a place for people who love Jesus. Right? And so um, here, Peter, Peter's saying, you don't dominate somebody in there. You don't scare them into it. Right? Peter would look men right in their eyes and say, you think you can discipline your wife and kids to get anything that you want. You can't do that here. You can really see the gospel really transform and, and influence how marriage ought to be, what honor and respect women ought to have. They're not your property. They're not something you can just do whatever you want to. No, this is a daughter of the king. And if you don't live with them in an understanding way, you know how difficult it's gonna be for you? Follow that train. You, you think you can live that way? Well, guess what? Your prayers won't be listened to. He would encourage them. He said, hey, live in an understanding way so that what? So that your prayers might not be hindered. Like that you could actually treat your wife in such a way, dishonorably, where God would say, hey, no, 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 no. I'm not listening to you. You have nothing to say to me. Because nothing with how you're loving and treating your wife is a reflection that we have something here. Right? And so you, you live in a dishonorable way towards your wife. Watch how God won't hear your prayers. Watch how your prayers will be hindered. Very strong words. But Peter's serious about this. Because, yes, we do want to see all people saved. We do want to see all people come into relationship with God. But it won't be effective in these ways won't be effective in, in nagging, it won't be effective in seduction, and it won't be uh, effective with fear. These aren't the ways people get into the kingdom. They get into it through love, honor, respect, pure conduct. These are the loudest, these are the, the, this is the, 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 through the microphone that I talked about, the sweetest fragrance, the, the most beautiful message I could hear is a life that's following Jesus full-heartedly. We have such a high calling as husbands and wives, as men and women, to the lost world around us. And so yes, your conduct preaches a message to the world, but also preaches a message to your home. And that our marriages, the way we love, honor, and respect one another, would yes, be a beautiful message of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It speaks about where we've placed our hope. That's, that's the the hope really that you see throughout all of the New Testament marriage, right? And in Ephesians 5, when Paul writes about marriage, he says this would be a reflection that people would see Christ and the church through the way the husband loves the wife and the wife loves the husband. And so we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to orient our lives, conduct our lives in such a way that the lost world around us sees something compelling and beautiful and worth giving their life to. You're here today and you never have. I want to invite you into that. I want to invite you into a real relationship with Jesus. And it's confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart.
that confession is just a, an audible expression of what's really going on in the heart. So there's no magical words, but it's a true, honest, heartfelt expression of saying, Lord, I want you, to, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, and I'll follow you. I will follow you. I will seek to honor you in the ways that you've called me to live. So let's pray.